Good afternoon, and welcome to Spokane Public Radio's Northwest Arts Review, a half hour exploring the people, places, and events forming the rich arts tapestry we enjoy here in the inland Northwest and our wider Intermountain Northwest region. I'm Jim Tevenin, pleased to be your guide on this journey. Today, Chris Massini continues his conversations with Spokane Arts Award grantees as he welcomes Marnie Rohrholm of Spokane Valley Summer Theatre. Vern Windham tips his hat to Navy Week, on now virtually in Spokane. He talks with Navy Band Northwest conductor, Lieutenant Chris Cornett, whose band has music for us, beginning with this arrangement of one of the country's most beloved folk songs, Shenandoah. And Nathan Weinbender offers his response to two new sci-fi thrillers. That's all ahead on this edition of Northwest Arts Review. For Spokane Public Radio, I'm Chris Massini. My guest today is Marnie Rohrholm, Director of Development for Spokane Valley Summer Theater. They're one of the latest recipients of a Spokane Arts Grant Award to support their 2021 season, which will consist of three shows performed outdoors in order to comply with the COVID-19 guidelines. Marnie, thanks so much for taking the time to talk with me. Yes, and thank congratulations you for inviting me. I really award. appreciate this. Yes. Yeah. So, um, first of all, for those of us who aren't familiar, tell us a little bit about what is Spokane Valley Summer Theater and how is it different from some of the other theater organizations Absolutely. in the area? Absolutely. So, Spokane Valley Summer Theater is a 501c3 not-for-profit but professional performing arts uh, summer stock theater in the city of Spokane Valley. And we also have a uh, performing arts conservatory for grades 2 through 12. We have been doing our performances since 2015 at the Central Valley Performing Arts Center, which most people know better as CV High School. (laughs) And due to COVID, we will not be able to be in there this summer. Um, But it's very important to us to try to get back to the community, to some type of live performance, both for our, our patrons, but also the artists. As a professional theater, we do pay everybody involved with the production a small stipend. So our musicians, our actors, our tech, our staff. We're one of only two professional theaters in the region. The other one is Coeur d'Alene Summer Theater. You know, so we're kind of we're hoping to be back in CV High School by the 2022 season. But for now, we shifted lanes and we're going to try something new and outdoor and 
I think it'll be spectacular. Well, it sounds like a fun idea. And I mean, let's just acknowledge what an incredibly difficult year it's been for performing arts organizations across the board. Right. I mean, it's been a year since anyone's been able to sit in a theater and watch a live performance. So I'm curious, how has the Spokane Valley Summer Theater weathered the last year? Have you tried to do any other things besides? Well, like everybody, it's kind of a day-to-day on what the state guidelines are. So um, we decided when the writing was fully on the wall, probably by this time or May of last year, we decided to push our season straight ahead to 2021. Mm. And it was going to be three shows. We Our normal pattern is a show, a two-week run in June, a three-week run in July, and a two-week run in August. Yeah. And we were just going to push that straight ahead to this year. Well, of course, here we are, and we're still limited. Yeah. Um, so when we had to pivot to outdoor theater... We changed lanes a little bit. So the shows were going to be The King and I and Little House on the Prairie, the musical, which is a regional premiere. It's never Mm. been seen here before. And then Sister Act. Mm. Well, for various reasons, The King and I and Sister Act cannot really effectively be produced outside. One reason for The King and I is that we had these, we already had the costumes built last year, beautiful, ornate costumes with silks from Thailand. And if you know that show, many of the actors spend their time on the ground, prostrate, Mm. that would shred the costumes. The (laughs) other thing was for Sister Act, that would have been the August show, and to put a bunch of women in black habits outside in 90 degree heat (laughs) and potentially smoke, we were like, they'll have a heat stroke. So we will be producing those at some point, just not this season. Mm -hmm. However, Little House on the Prairie, the musical, the regional premiere, is ideal for outside. So we're going to keep that one and perform it the last two weeks in July. And then in June, we're going to do a show called SVST Under the Stars, which will be all of our premiere performers doing sort of a cabaret showcase that allows them to be socially distanced on stage, but it's still going to be really entertaining. The other thing is one called SVST Rising Stars, similar cabaret format, but our talent 21 and under. And so those shows will be produced in June, but Little House, the full-blown production, will still be in July. And that buys us a little more time to push um, farther out in the summer, and hopefully the vaccinations go up, the yeah. the instances of COVID go down. Keep our fingers crossed. Fingers crossed, yeah. exactly. I'm talking with Marnie Rohrholm from Spokane Valley Summer Theater. They've received a Spokane Arts Grant Award to support their 2021 outdoor musical theater season. So you've received this grant from Spokane Arts. Mm-hmm. So what exactly is it going to help you do to sort of make the switch from an indoor theater to an outdoor theater? Absolutely. Well, um, this is going to be a very collaborative effort this summer between um, the city of Spokane Valley, Center Place event facility in the valley is actually owned by the city of Spokane Valley Parks Department. And they, over the winter, built a brand new West Lawn Plaza. And it's really meant for outdoor events like weddings and all kinds of things. But we went out there and finagled a way where we could do this beautiful thing. It's going to be a lot like the Symphony's Labor Day concert at Comstock in the park. It's going to be a very similar feel. Hmm. They can sit on the grass on blankets or Center Place also has folding chairs, which are great, like wedding folding chairs. But for a two-hour show, it might get a little... 
lipstick on my hiney. Yeah. So um, <laughs> we are going to buy camp chairs, the kind that you know, the folding camp chairs oh, that are nice. comfy with a cup holder. Yeah. And we're going to brand them with uh, Spokane Arts logo and uh, SVST's logo, and we'll keep them forever. So they yeah. won't just be useful this summer, but they'll be useful for us forever if we ever do outdoor theater again. Um, the other collaborative way that the grant is going to help us is we are renting a shell. We hope to bring in the symphony and use their shell from Comstock, that beautiful, gigantic stage. Yeah. It's really big, though. So we're sort of negotiating right now exactly how we can make it happen. But, of course, pre-show, we will be able to light that shell, hang lights on it, project onto it. Mm. And so both Spokane Arts and hopefully the symphony and Center Place all of these organizations are coming together to try to restore live performing arts in the region. And we couldn't do it without Spokane Arts' grant this year. It's just, they're so phenomenal. We're very, very thankful. Yeah. So in addition to your main performances, Spokane Valley Summer Theater also does summer camps for kids. Yes. And those are back this year, Yes, right? they yeah. are. They are. That was one of the few things we actually managed to pull off in 2020. Oh, you did? Yes. We pivoted and moved to a, uh, a mega church in the valley. And the size of the facility plus the outdoor uh, venue allowed us, and we just planned smaller class sizes mm-hmm. and spread it farther out over the summer. And we were still able to facilitate uh, what they're basically play in a week camps mm-hmm. for grades two through 12. And they don't just cover acting, they teach everything to do at, at an age appropriate level with putting on a production. So, costumes, sets, you know, um, directing, stage managing, all those things. And then on the last day of the camp, the parents and family and friends can come and watch them put on their production. So this, we and we had no instances of COVID come mm. out of that experience last year. So we're taking that model ahead this year. We have very professional faculty. They're all either in college or have graduated from very high level um, theater arts schools in New York. And our list of camps is on our website at svsummertheater.com. Theater is spelled with an R-E. And the first one of the summer is actually sold out already. It's a Harry Potter-themed camp. Oh, wow. But most of the rest of them still have room. So if parents are interested, I think parents also are like, get my kid out of the house yeah, and like absolutely. let them make some art and do something <laughs> creative. So um, we are going to do that again this summer as well. Yeah. Yeah. So if folks are interested in tickets uh, for the outdoor s- summer yes. series or camps, how can they find more information? It's all on our website. Um, www.svsummertheater.com and theater is spelled with an R-E like the shishi old English way <laughs> and the single tickets are available to all the shows right now um, our box office manager Barb would be happy to help there's a phone number there as well the the only contingent is the size of the audience we're allowed to have right. for state mandates we hope to God we are still in phase three but at least yeah. by then, and then we can have up to 400 people per audience. If we're in phase two, it'll be 200, but we can still do it. Well, I've been talking with Marnie Rohrholm from Spokane Valley Summer Theater. They're the recipients of a Spokane Arts Grant Award to support their 2021 series of outdoor musical theater performances. Marnie, thanks so much. You're welcome. Thank you. Sometimes... Multiple new movies coincidentally explore similar themes in similar locales. Nathan Weinbender now takes a look at two films, the drama Stowaway and the futuristic thriller Voyagers that just happen to be set in space. Both are now streaming. They say that space is the final frontier, 
which is probably why Hollywood continues to be fascinated by it. This week I'll be taking a look at two recent releases that use the Milky Way as a backdrop for conventional thriller plots. First up is Stowaway, now streaming on Netflix, which I assumed was going to be some kind of bloody alien clone. Instead, it's more of a pressure cooker chamber piece in space, a morality play about scientific desperation and the worth of human life. This is the latest film from director Joe Penna, whose debut feature, Arctic, was about a man stranded alone in the frozen wilderness, and he's transplanted those same themes of survival to the empty void of our solar system. It's about a three-person crew, the commander Tony Collette, a doctor played by Anna Kendrick, and botanist Daniel Day Kim heading to Mars to explore the viability of sustaining life there, a mission that will take two years just to get there. All seems to be going smoothly until they discover that an engineer working on the ship launch is still aboard, unconscious behind a panel in the ceiling. I can't imagine this scenario is even a little bit plausible, but the emotional conflicts that it inspires are relatively absorbing. The so-called stowaway's name is Michael, played by Shamir Anderson, and he ends up being a helpful extra hand on the crew. But then there's a horrible realization. There's not enough oxygen for all four of them to survive the rest of the voyage. This is a compelling idea for a film, and it effectively communicates a sense of claustrophobia and containment. We don't even get to hear the voices of the Earth-bound mission control team, which further underlines how isolated our heroes are. Unfortunately, the movie doesn't have a third act that lives up to the conflict at play. In fact, it barely has a third act at all. A solar storm hits at a predictable time, a key item is lost at exactly the moment you expect it to, and the character you suspect will sacrifice themselves ultimately decides to sacrifice themselves. Neil Berger's Voyagers, meanwhile, is another new film also exploring themes of morality and mortality on a long space adventure. It begins in the year 2063, and Earth is uninhabitable. Scientists have found a distant planet with an atmosphere similar to ours, and so a bunch of children commandeered by Colin Farrell is blasted off in a rocket. The journey will be so long that it will be the crew's artificially reproduced grandkids who eventually reach the planet and populate it. As they grow up, a couple of these young astronauts discover that a blue-tinted beverage they drink during every meal is actually dulling their intensifying hormones, keeping their most primal teenage impulses at bay. They rebel, refusing to be drugged any longer, and the crew neatly separates itself into factions who want to continue following the rules and those who want to destroy them. Lest you think this devolves into Cronenbergian debauchery, it's been sanitized down to a PG-13 rating for a perceived teenage audience. What could have been a fascinating exploration of a new society being formed, and of suppressed youth discovering the consequences of adult freedoms and responsibilities, turns instead into Lord of the Flies in space. It also turns out that future kids fall into the same traps as the original kids in Lord of the Flies, and the last half of Voyagers involves people chasing each other down corridors and hitting each other over the head with heavy objects and getting sucked out of airlocks and going tumbling out into space. Like Berger's breakout hit Limitless, the film never matches the potential of its obviously intriguing premise, and that's too bad. For Spokane Public Radio, I'm Nathan Weinbender. Nathan Weinbender is film and music editor for The Inlander and one of the critics on Spokane Public Radio's Movies 101, heard Friday evenings at 6.30 here on KPBX, which is also the home of this program, Northwest Arts Review. This year marks the celebration of the 83rd Annual Lilac Festival in Spokane. As with last year, though, COVID realities have truncated that celebration, most notably 
This is the second year that the traditional Armed Forces Torchlight Parade will not take place while lilacs are blooming. It is tentatively scheduled, though, for November. Part of this year's celebration was to have been the periodic observance of Navy Week, with sailors coming to landlocked Spokane with music and other aspects of the service's community outreach. Navy Week is underway now in Spokane, but in a virtual way. Vern Windham explores this and more with Navy Band Northwest Conductor Lieutenant Chris Cornett. First, I want to talk a little bit about service bands in general, because I think you have a twofold mission, the internal one to take care of, of your service members, and then the external one to, to interface with the public. And so talk about the two sides of what a military band does. Yeah, uh, you're absolutely right. Uh, of course, a large part of what we do is uh, providing ceremonial support to our military commands. Uh, you know, that can involve change of command ceremonies, retirement ceremonies, commissioning new ships. Uh, and of course, uh, one of the most important ceremonial functions we, we provide is um, uh, funeral support for veterans and, and active duty uh, fallen. And uh, we take a, a lot of pride and, and a great deal of honor in, in doing that. Uh, and then we have uh, what we call the public outreach mission, uh, which is, you know, that's, uh, that's the fun. That's the, uh, the public concerts in the town square. Uh, and we, we try and get out to as much of what we call our area of operations as we can. In our case, um, our area covers um, Alaska, down through Northern California, and then over uh, into uh, Wyoming and, uh, and, and down to Colorado. So it's a, it's a pretty, pretty large area we get to. And, and uh, of course, travel has been uh, um, curtailed under COVID-19 restrictions, but uh, we're, we're hoping to get back to it as soon as possible. The breadth of, of music making that you do is kind of implicit in what you said, and certainly the pieces we're going to continue to play are going to illuminate that. But speak a little about the kind of person that you need involved in your Navy uh, band and the, and the kind of musical skills they need to have. Sure. Well, I mean, we definitely need uh, well-rounded musicians, uh, expert on their instruments and, and the technical uh, side of, of, of playing, but also, uh, you know, well-rounded in terms of the styles they can play. We have larger ensembles like, um, you know, full wind ensembles. Uh, our, of course, our parade band and our ceremonial band play, uh, you know, traditional military march music. But then those groups break up into subunits, um, uh, uh, that we've got classical chamber ensembles like our brass quintet and woodwind quintet. Uh, we also have, um, a, you know, a traditional top 40 type rock band, um, uh, a jazz combo. And then, um, you know, one of the newer things that uh, Navy bands have been doing, uh, and is extremely popular is, uh, New Orleans style brass bands. So it's, uh, you know, uh, brass instruments and saxophones, along with a rhythm section playing, and they can play a, just a huge variety, everything from 
you know, traditional Dixieland style, all the way up through the more modern um, funk-based uh, uh, music you're seeing come out of that area. So it's, it's we we can do quite a bit, and we need folks who are uh, you know flexible and able to able to play professionally in all those different styles. I realize you're a band and not a chorus, but lately there's been a rage for sea shanties. Has that hit you yet? <laughs> Uh, we have been aware. Uh, the, the Navy actually has a unit in Washington, D.C. called the Sea Channers as part of the U.S. Navy Band. And their, their actual mission and the entire reason they were created uh, quite a few decades ago was to uh, preserve the heritage of sea shanties. Uh, of course, they do a lot more than that. They actually have one of the, uh, one of the most diverse concert shows I've ever seen. Um, but yeah, I got, I got to you to work with them uh, during my last tour. I was the specialty groups department head at, at U.S. Navy Band in Washington D.C. and, and uh, got to know them quite well. We're hearing from Lieutenant Chris Cornett, who's the leader of the Navy Band Northwest. We open the show with Shenandoah, played by the Brass Group, and then we go into a great heritage thing. Speaking of heritage things, talk about the flute and harpsichord piece that we're about to hear. Ah, so uh, this is a, a tribute to George Washington, who, I mean, of course, is our, our state's namesake. Um, and uh, it, it's, a, as you said, a flute and harpsichord piece, the harpsichord uh, being played, in this case, uh, on, on an electric piano. But uh, it, it's just a very pleasant duet, and it played brilliantly by um, ME3 uh, Clara Menino, and, uh, who is uh, a, a hometown native of Spokane herself. She grew up in Spokane and, uh, at a different time than me, but she also uh, was a student at Central Washington University. We'll hear this music in honor of George Washington.
A tribute to General George Washington played on flute and electric harpsichord by Clara Menino and Dinas San Pedro. The conversation included the whys and wherefores of Navy Week. It's something that uh, the Navy does. We like to um, you know, get out to the cities that, uh, that don't have a lot of Navy. <laughs> and Spokane, you know, being uh, a, a little ways away from the coast, uh, obviously we can't, uh, we can't bring the ships to you, uh, but we can certainly bring the sailors. And, um, of course, uh, this year we're, we're, we're doing that virtually. Um, but folks will be able to, to take a look at uh, the Navy Band Northwest uh, social media, both uh, Facebook, YouTube, and Instagram, as well as the Navy Office of Community Outreach. And so let's end our virtual concert here with the Woodwind Quintet and tell us about the waves of the Navy. So, yeah, this is, um, this is a, a traditional march uh, of the Navy. Uh, it pays tribute to a particular group of sailors um, in 1942. Uh, President Roosevelt signed into law um, an act that created the Naval Women's Reserve, also known as Women Accepted for Volunteer, Voluntary Emergency Service, uh, or the, just for short, the WAVES. Uh, and uh, if if your if your audience goes to uh, our YouTube or Facebook page to actually look at this full video, it's it's going to be accompanied by about uh, seven or eight minutes we got to spend with one of the remaining surviving U.S. Navy waves, uh, Emily Starnes, um, and and it's it's quite a quite an interview. She tells some some really neat stories. Um, but what you're about to hear is the, um, uh, is the march itself, Waves of the Navy. And so we're going to hear that in a minute, but I'd certainly like to thank you, Lieutenant Cornett, uh, for all of this. And uh, clearly what you've just described is that what we're able to bring on the radio is only part of the whole experience. So you've put a lot of production efforts into, into videos and into into a complete experience, haven't you, for this project? Well, we certainly do our best, and, and it does take quite a bit of work from, from audio editing to video editing, even just down to uh, coming up with the ideas. Fortunately, I have a, an absolutely fantastic team here of, of uh, multi-talented, really, people, uh, as, as do uh, many teams across the Navy. And, uh, you know, we, we all are certainly hoping that uh, in 2022, uh, you, know, you know, the folks, the people of Spokane will be able to come out to the Lilac Parade in person and see us marching down the street. But in the meantime, we do have uh, Navy Week in Spokane. So thanks Absolutely. a lot. And so now we're going to hear this piece, Waves of the Navy. Thanks for listening to Northwest Arts Review. I'm Jim Tevenin. Help today came from Chris Massini and Vern Windham. Thanks as well to Marnie Rohrholm, Lieutenant Chris Cornett, and Nathan Linebender. Likewise, to members of Navy Band Northwest, with a special shout-out to flutist and native Spokanite Clara Manino. 
Please join us again next week for another Northwest Arts Review on Spokane Public Radio.